Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It, it is so cool what God does, especially when you step into obedience, kind of step out in faith. And with the Mauling Campus and the Anderson Campus uh, having their public launches last week, it was just amazing. Uh, especially Anderson, tear, uh, it's a set up, tear down in a hotel, and 340 people. Um, incredible to see a sea of college students there. I'm sure they tithe in like ramen noodles or something like that. I'm not sure. Uh, not, not really. But uh, it's just cool to see God at work. And here's what's amazing is that that is your church. That even though it's not the Five Forks campus, man, that's God doing something in our church, that we are a part of that. And so um, while you can see numbers like that, and maybe you're like, what in the world? I wish we were there or be discouraged. That just means we got more work to do, more people to reach, all right? And so, uh, man, it's so awesome to see God doing that. I'm so thankful for Ashley and Will, the campus pastors there, and what God is uh, doing. And so... Um, also, just to kind of echo what Catherine was saying, I know we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, but um, make sure when you leave this morning, uh, go at least check out the small group options that we have. Uh, we think it's really, really important for um, us to be connected to biblical community. And so we weren't meant to do this relationship and walk with God alone. And so go and check out. There's a lot of different options, just kind of an overview. Uh, there's one that meets here on Wednesday nights. There's one that meets at a home on Wednesday nights. There's one that meets um, at a home on Tuesday nights. And then there's uh, one that meets on Wednesday nights at our downtown campus. And so um, if you have small kids, there is child care provided for those things. Uh, this looks different in a home setting because a babysitter comes and all that good stuff. But go check them out, okay? Um, if you're a Christian and you love Jesus, go do that, all right? Did I convict you? Okay, good. All right. So uh, make sure you do that after service. But last week, if you were here, we kicked off this new series called The Crown, and we're looking at the life of David, a huge, pivotal influencer in the Old Testament, and really all of Scripture, King David, who started out as this shepherd boy. And last week, we saw that he was just this scrawny little, uh, the youngest of eight kids, shepherd in the field, and he was anointed king. And, and so it's this incredible moment, and Today, we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath, and I wanted to do something a little bit different. I like to keep it fresh, aka ADD, okay? But um, I wanted to give you the first point, if you're a note taker, the first point of today's message before we kind of dig in, because as I was driving here this morning, um, I don't know if you've ever had this. I hope that you have. I just kind of had like this, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just impressing upon my heart, not to be overly spiritual of, okay, I just need to kind of shift a little bit in this message. Um, and so if you're taking notes, the very first point this morning, we're going to see this in the story of David and Goliath. But the first thing, and I think that we would all agree upon this, is the first point being that the enemy is relentless. The enemy is relentless. Now, when I say the enemy, obviously we're in church. I'm talking about the devil, I'm talking about Satan. He is relentless. Now, I don't know about you. Um, I would... I would assume that we're probably all in this boat, but I'm going to speak just from experience, that over the last two years, uh, maybe, okay, give or take, man, I feel like the, the devil's just been at work. And, um, and just to kind of throw out some things, whether it is the inconvenience and fear and anxiety that comes with the whole COVID thing, uh, whether it is 
Uh, maybe some of you have lost a loved one because of COVID. Maybe you um, have seen someone get really, really sick that you thought was going to die, and by the grace of God, they've recovered. Um, maybe you've dealt with that. Maybe non-COVID-related, you've experienced loss this past year for whatever reason, or walking through a trying time with your family. Um, I know being a young campus, for many of us, we're kind of in that land in between where we're trying to raise a family, or we have kids that are starting to transition into college, and at the same time, we might lose a, a parent, or we're having to take care of a parent who can no longer take care of themselves, and so you have that stress, you have that anxiety. Um, so maybe you're dealing with some of that. On top of, over the last two years, uh, we have political temperature that's just crazy, right? You have debates over masks and vaccinations and Afghanistan and who, who voted for who and all these other things. And the enemy is at work. And his number one goal of being relentless in our lives, especially in the church, is to really just deplete us, divide us, um, and, and so what has ended up happening, you see this in our culture, is everybody hates everybody. Everybody's angry. Now, I get it. I'm fatigued. I'm tired, and, and I hate talking about COVID, all right? Like, tell me, when I was in line, or not in line, well, I was sitting in my car outside the pediatrician's office yesterday for three hours, and I thought I was going to eat my arm because I was so hungry, you know? Like, I was frustrated. Now, it was negative, okay? You don't got to worry about anything, all right? But you're like, uh, but think about it. Like, we've been inconvenienced. We've seen hurt. We've seen all this thing. As a church staff, we walked through suicide as a byproduct, possibly, of this. You know, we've been walking through all these things, and at, it's like enough's enough. The enemy is relentless. And so I say that because as I was driving in this morning, God just was like, you know what? You just need to kind of address this and kind of pray, uh, have a time of prayer. I'm not naive to think that we're all superheroes in this room. For many of us, we put on our church face and look like we're holding all together. And I hope that you put your hope and your faith in Jesus. But the struggle is real. And for many of us, we come here and you're in this room and there's a number of people the first hour or two that are just in a, a low spot. They're stressed and anxious, kind of um, worried, hurting. Maybe they're just wavering in their faith a little bit. And so I just wanted to real quickly take some time to just pray for you specifically. Because I know that's a tough spot. And you know this about us, especially me, we're transparent. Um, this isn't a perfect uh, place for perfect people. None of us are perfect. And so it's just better, you know, scripture says to, for us to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other. And that's what we're about. And so I just want to ask, maybe if you're here and you're like going through a low spot, I'm not going to call your name or say what, you know, you can't, hey, right there where you are, can you tell us what you're going through? I'm not going to do that. But if you would just be so kind and just bold to say, hey, I need some prayer. Would you just raise your hand to say, hey, I'm in a low spot. I need some prayer. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hey, let's pray together. Father, you know what is going on in each person's life that just raised their hand. And even for those who didn't, God, for the struggle that is happening right now, the spiritual warfare that's taking place, the devil is relentless. You know that better than anyone. And for us here on this earth, sometimes, a lot of the times, it brings depression anxiety. There's isolation. We start to buy into the lies of the devil, like we're not going to get through this. 
God isn't real. There's, there's no way to handle this situation. And God, I pray that in this moment, that you begin to speak into the lives and the hearts of those of us who are just in a low spot. And let your spirit would do only what your spirit could do in counsel and comfort. In that anxiety, in that hurt, in that lowliness, Father, your word tells us to cast our cares upon you. And so, Father, we know that as the devil is relentless, you're bigger than that. And so we trust you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. I hope that um, you know if you ever need to talk to somebody, please come find me. There's no shame in that whatsoever. Um, The enemy is relentless. And we see that in the story of David and Goliath, right? Goliath is this enemy who's relentless. And um, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And um, as I mentioned last week, we saw that uh, God rejected Saul. The um, Israel nation was not supposed to have a king, uh, but they looked at every other nation and said, we need a king. So they charged the prophet Samuel, find us a king. He found uh, Samuel. Samuel became king. Uh, he was dishonest, had some um, integrity issues. And so God rejected him and said, I'm going to raise up another king. And so at the age of 14 or 15, um, we see that David is anointed and God's like, hey, this is the next king. But even then, as a 14, 15-year-old boy, he just went back to being a shepherd, what he knew, and God was going to train him in that. But we see this story of David and Goliath. And I don't know about you, like, I don't know if you, if you were raised in church or not, I wasn't. But a lot of times when we think of David and Goliath, we kind of make it a cartoon. It's kind of like what we see, some cartoony little you know, little boy with a, you know, slingshot. It's kind of like an ancient Dennis the Menace, if you know who that is, right? And the giant is like pretty much like the dude on the green beans can, you know? And it's kind of cartoony. It's kind of like VeggieTales-esque. And it's just like, uh, okay, I don't really, you know, whatever. We don't really kind of understand it. We just kind of cartoonize it in a way. But if you think about it, this was like ancient battle. This wasn't some thing that just kind of happened and it's some cartoony event. It is ancient warfare. And if you think about it, it's really hard for us to understand and to wrap our brains around ancient warfare because to really understand it, you have to be present. I mean, Hollywood does a great job of, of doing some incredible movies. You have like movies like Braveheart, right? Freedom! All right, we love that. Uh, one of my personal favorites, uh, Gladiator right? That's like every guy's. Like after that, like I want to go like kill something, you know? Like I know that sounds weird, but it's like, yeah, you know? But it's just awesome. Like, but you see that, and while it does a decent job, at the end of the day, when you watch those things to really understand ancient warfare, you have to be in it. I mean, ask any veteran of any military branch who served and was in active duty and was actually on the battle lines what you see on the media doesn't really depict what you experience on the field. So for us to understand that, you would have to be there, experience it, you know, um, really smell it. I know that sounds weird, but just be in it. Because this is the struggle that you and I face. Modern warfare is done from a distance, right? 
You probably heard over the weekend that the U.S. used a drone to attack and bomb some of the ISIS people that maybe were involved with the attacks at the airport. So we, modern warfare is you attack from a distance, but in ancient warfare, you were in battle at arm's length. You looked into the eyes of your opponent. You could see the sweat on their forehead. You could smell their breath. You could almost feel their heartbeat of the adrenaline that's rushing to them. And chances are that in ancient warfare, if you went to battle, the chances of you walking away alive were very, very low. Especially if the guy to the right and to the left of you decided to flee because they were afraid they left you there, you're going to die. And your adrenaline is pumping so much that even in the middle of battle, if you have a wound, you don't know it until after the battle is done. And so once the battle is over, if you're lucky enough to survive, and you're climbing over the bodies of the other people in your army, and you make it back to camp, and you begin to look and evaluate your body, and you see your blood and other people's blood. You see your opponent's blood. You're trying to sort through, where are my wounds? And as you do that, more than likely, if you have a wound, it would get uh, an infection and you would die. Because a lot of times, the piercing of chain mail or of clothing would um, take it into your skin and it wasn't sanitary and it would cause infection wherever your wound was. Like, true story, you could read, um, and sometimes men, I know this sounds weird, but sometimes men would fight naked. Because they did not want to have an infection in their skin. So you would fight and you would certainly have blood all over you. And your adrenaline would be pumping. And more than likely you would die on the battlefield. And before anybody could come and get you. Before anybody could rescue you and as you died or take your body and bury you. Certainly the birds of the air. And the beast of the field would prey on your flesh. Now, isn't that like the most awesome, epic intro to any sermon you've ever heard? <laughs> I mean, think about that. But that's like, what, that's, a, that's like what's going on in this moment. So it's not like veggie tales. It is a battle. It is piercing. And the Philistines and the Israelites are enemies. And so they're at war, and this is where we pick up in 1 Samuel. We have a lot of scripture. We're going to cover it. I mean, I love this passage. It just really comes to life. But in verse 1 of chapter 7, follow along with me um, in this. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkot and Azekah. In Ephesus, uh, Damon, um, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elay. And they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain of the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from camp of the Philistines, a champion. He was a warrior. He was a winner. He didn't get defeated. He was a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, about nine and a half feet tall. 
He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, about 150 pounds of armor. Now that's a lot, okay? A lot of armor. It shows how big and strong this dude is. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. They say that this, this spear, it wasn't like a javelin throwing spear. It was like a kill weapon. And it was about six feet long. And the tip of it, just the head, the, the, the sharpened part of it was about 15 pounds. So this is a man-killing weapon. It says, And his shield-bearer went before him, and he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Pretty much, why are you even here? You're going to lose. Why are you even here? You know you're going to lose. You're a bunch of losers. <laughs> He says, am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul, who's the king, and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I mean, I would. I mean, think about this. Goliath is so big, nine and a half feet, scholars believe that he would be in the second line of the battlefield. Second line, and he would use, he's so tall, he would just reach over the first line with this spear and just kill people over and over and over. I mean, he is a beast. And he comes out and he breathes this threat, bring someone, and if they kill me, we'll be your servants. But if I kill him, you're going to be our servants. And so they're afraid in this moment. Now think about this. Israel in this moment needed a champion. They needed someone to step up to this Goliath guy. And so naturally, who do they look to? They look to their king. They looked at King Saul. Now, they looked to him for two reasons. One, he's the king. I mean, we've seen enough movies to know, like, the king is the dude that is supposed to go out, be this great warrior, and kill everybody, right? He's supposed to say, this is my kingdom. I'm defending it. He's going to go out there, and I'm going to tell Goliath who's boss, and I'm going to kill him right here on this spot. They were looking for him to be a king. But also, they looked to him for a second reason. Saul we see is the tallest Israelite. We see, I think it's in chapter 8 or 9, where they say that the re one of the reasons he was picked as king is because he was head and shoulders ab uh, above every other Israelite. So essentially, you want your biggest, tallest guy going up against their biggest, tallest guy. I mean, you, you don't want to see, you wouldn't pick Kevin Hart to go up against Kevin Durant in basketball, right? That would just be ridiculous. You want someone who's similar in size to Kevin Durant, whether that's a Giannis Antetokounmpo or LeBron or whoever, you want someone who's going to be, you're not going to sit. So they're like, Saul is the tallest dude we got. So let's send him out there. And here 
is where our lives intersect with this story, if you think about it. Because the Israelites put their hope in King Saul. And they're like, hey, we're going to get out of this because King Saul is going to get us out. And he didn't show up. He stayed in his tent. And this is what happens in our lives, if you think about it. We place our hope in what we depend on. Or take it a step further, we place our hope in who we depend on. So what we depend on and who uh, we depend on really kind of directs where we place our hope. And if you think about it, the tension happens is that when the person we place our hope in disappoints us, oftentimes we measure our hope or or the measure of our hope becomes really the measure of our disdain or the measure of our anger or the measure of our frustration or our fear that when the person that we depend on and we put our hope in or the thing that we do, when that thing disappoints, all of a sudden our world is rocked. I mean, a good example of this is this is why you and I probably the greatest, have the greatest potential to resent our parents. Because at a young age, we hope for and depend on our parents so much when they disappoint us, our hope is lost and we lose faith in who they are. Maybe that's happened recently. Maybe that happened a long time ago. But we can resent them because our hope was in them. And so here we are in this situation where... Um, they're looking, the Israelites are looking to Saul, and he's nowhere to be found. The person, they're like, we're going to put our hope and dependency on this guy. He's going to get us out of this. He's Captain Sissy Pants in the tent. He's not coming out. He's afraid. And so is every other Israelite in the army. They're like, we're not doing this. So that brings me to my second point, is that fear is natural. We see in verse 11 that Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear is natural. If the enemy is relentless and things are going in our lives, it is natural for us to have fear. We're not superheroes. We're not going to be like, I'm not afraid of anything. There's going to be fear in us. We're human. That's an effect of sin. And so fear is in us and we're wrestling with these things. And, and, the, and it came on top of all, all the army. They're like, oh my goodness, what is happening right here? And here's, here's the defining moment for them. If you think about this, they're looking at the obstacle. That's what's causing their fear. They see this huge dude, nine and a half feet, with his large javelin spear, who has killed over and over and over. And they're looking at that, and they're like, there's no way we can defeat this guy. He's huge. Even our tallest guy, he's in the tent. He's not coming out. We, we can't win this battle. He's killing people left and right. We might as well just quit. Just give it to him. And it's all because they were focused on the obstacle, not the power of God. Now think about that in our lives. When we go through something in a low spot or an obstacle, we often look at the obstacle and not the power of God. And so we say things like, I'm never going to get through this. Life just stinks. I hate this part of my life. Why is God doing this? I don't understand it. This is so dumb. You know, we've all been guilty of that. Or like, you know what? I'm just not, God's not who he says he is. I'm walking away from this. And we let the obstacle or event or the circumstance that has brought about fear 
totally disrail us from understanding and trusting the power of God. So when measuring obstacles against our own strength, fear sets in. We make those kind of comments. I can't do this any longer. This is really lonely. You know, like I'm just hurting. And those are all relevant things. I'm not saying that those things just disappear. But when we measure obstacles against our own strength, fear sets in. There's no way that you and I can overcome certain things. We're just not, we're not God. We can't do it. But on the flip side, when measuring obstacles against God's strength, that's when faith sets in. That's when faith sets in. And we say, you know what? I don't understand it, and it really does stink, and I don't like it. I'm hurting. It's causing a lot of pain, but God's going to get me through this. Now, it is seen beyond the obstacle. And what we're going to see is that David shows up, and he sees beyond that obstacle. Now, think about this. Now, David, he's at home. He's a little shepherd boy. His three oldest brothers are veteran soldiers. They're at war. They're, they're, um, they're in battle with Saul. And Jesse, their dad, is at home. David's taking care of him and the sheep. And Jesse says, hey, David boy, come here. Hey, I need you to take some bread, right? I need you to take some bread. I need you to take some grain. Go give it to your brothers. They're at war. You know, they're probably hungry. Check in on them and bring back a token. That's what he says. So David gathers that stuff. He goes to the battle where the Philistines and the Israelites are. David shows up, and as last week, you know, you can just imagine this 14, 15-year-old kid showing up. He's like, hey, guys, I brought some bread. It's gluten-free. Anybody want some? Okay. And, and he brings it, and he's like, here you go. Dad said you'd be hungry. What's going on here? Right? He just shows up to the scene. And this is where we pick up in this story. Um, if you look, starting in verse 22, so you skip some. It says, David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and he ran to the ranks, and he went and he greeted his brothers. And he talked with them, and behold, while he's talking, he's probably checking in on them. Hey, how are you guys doing? Everything good? It says, at that time, behold, the champion, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines, and he spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. This is, David hears him for the first time. So he's been distant. He shows up. This 14, 15-year-old boy sees this nine-and-a-half-foot giant come out, start breathing death threats. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. I get this. So David hears this and he's like looking around and the, the soldiers are like, do you know who this guy is? Surely he's coming to defy the, our army and who God is, right? And David, I love this. Um, he's, it says, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? I love the NIV version. It actually says, who will remove this disgrace from Israel? He was a disgrace because he was defying God, who David was putting his faith in. 
And so he's like, oh, not on my watch. So he says, who's going to remove this approach? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now think about this. So David shows up. He hears this. They're all afraid. And they're like, do you, do you hear this guy? We need to get out of here. And David's like, well, what, happen, what happens to the guy? What does he get if he kills him? And they're looking at him like, you crazy, bro, right? And he's like, well, who is this Philistine joker who's coming out here defying who God is? He's not going to do that. I'll fight him. And so word gets back to Saul because he's got his tail tucked in his tent. They're like, hey, we have this guy. He's willing to fight him. He's like, okay, bring him in here. David comes in there. <laughs> you can imagine Saul's like, you're a boy. You're not going to do anything. He even says, you're in your youth, and Goliath has been in this battle since his youth. You don't have a chance. And David says, you don't understand. I'm a shepherd back at my dad's house. And one time I was, I was looking over the flock and this lion came and tried to attack a sheep. You know what I did? I chased it down. I got my sheep and I killed that lion. And then a little bit later, a bear attacked my sheep. And I said, oh, no, sir. I went after that bear, saved that sheep, and I killed that that bear, and I took his head off. And this giant is going to be just like them. They're like, okay. So then he puts them out there when everybody else is afraid. And I'm sure David is probably fearful a little bit, but he has confidence that God is going to get him through this. And this brings us to our third point, that God's power delivers. God's power delivers. David wasn't focused on the obstacle. He was focused on who God was. So listen to this. I love this. Oh, man, this will get you fired up. All right? It says, And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, and he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. He's like, ha this is like a pretty boy. This is a nobody. This is a joke. And so he says, to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And, Phil and the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Now, I love this moment. Man, I wish there was a really good movie about this because this is, man, David enters into some trash talking that is so awesome. All right. Listen to how David responds. When he comes out, he's like, I'm going to give you, the Goliath says, I'm going to give your body to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'm going to strike you down, and I'm going to cut off your head. <laughs> how about some of that, Okay. And he says, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. Get this, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line. He wasn't scared. He was running after it. 
He ran to the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his back. He took out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground, knocked out, TKO, UFC fighter, okay? So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And then David ran, and he stood over the Philistine, and he took his sword, and he drew it out of his sheath and killed him, cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Amen, right? That's a battle right there. Whoever says the Old Testament is boring, read you some of that, okay? That is awesome. And it's all because of God's power. It wasn't based on some teenage little boy who was a shepherd. He trusted in God. He looked beyond the obstacle and said, you know what? My God is so much bigger than those things. He's so much bigger. And I'm just going to step out in faith. He's not going to defy my God. And I'm going to take a stand. And he realized and tapped into God's power that it really wasn't David who defeated him. It was really God in that. And here's kind of my last point, And then I'll close with a verse. Our faith doesn't make fear vanish. I know when we first started COVID, it was like faith over fear. Yeah, I, I get that. But we also need to be responsible. We also, God gives us a common sense. Our, fa- our, our faith doesn't just make fear vanish. It doesn't make it just disappear like some genie in a, in a bottle or something. But instead, our faith helps us overcome fear by trusting that God's power is bigger. We're always going to wrestle with fear. But we can overcome that fear with understanding, believing, and acknowledging that God is bigger than those things. I love this about David. While he was a warrior and a king, he also wrote songs and poems. A lot of the Psalms are from him. And in Psalm 25, he writes this as really a response to this battle. He says this, He says, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. And he says, guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Man, I hope that's your prayer. That our hope is in God all day long. Our hope isn't in the things of this world We don't focus on the battle that's at hand. The battle is the Lord's. Let us set our eyes and our trust and our hearts on a God that is bigger than it all and more powerful than it all. So whatever you're wrestling with right now, be encouraged. God is bigger than that. And I really think in those moments, God teaches us and stretches us and prepares us in those things. I mean, this, in this moment, David really earns the affection of the people to continue God's plan. And whatever God's doing in your life right now that it seems like it doesn't make sense, and there's a lot of fear and doubt, God's going to use it to do amazing things in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we don't understand 
all the obstacles that we're faced with. Sometimes we wish everything was just great and grand and we didn't have to go through hard, difficult, painful times. And Father, as I look in your word, I'm not sure if we'll really ever understand the reason behind things other than the the grand view of that you're in charge and we just need to trust you. So in our pain, let us trust you. In our doubt, let us trust you. Let us see beyond just the obstacle that's right in front of us that's causing so much pain. And let us see you as being bigger than that. We minimize you to hide behind that object, but instead you're so much bigger. Let us see that and trust and have the faith to overcome that fear. And for the person that's here this morning that's just kind of struggling, if they need someone to talk to, I'll be up front or they can talk afterwards. But God, let us have that faith. I said, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I might not look like I have it all together, but I'm going I'm to walk with God in this. I'm going to lean on him through this. And then God, we know that you will be faithful. Not on our timing, but yours. So let us step and be faithful to you. In your son's name, amen. Hey, let's stand and close and worship together.